0: What's up, everybody? This is Damien X with your inaugural episode of the Reality Podcast, where I am going to attempt to provide some in-depth analysis of reality TV programming with a focus on the production of said programming. What were some of the decisions that the team who worked on the show, both before they started filming, while they were filming, and after they finished filming, you know, where were those decisions well thought out and perhaps deserving of praise and could be implemented in other franchises to the betterment of those franchises? And where were some of those decisions perhaps not so well thought out um, that created problems for the final product and some of my own thoughts about how to fix those? Like I said, this is the inaugural episode of the Reality Podcast. This may be the only episode of the Reality Podcast. I don't have a plan for any of this. It's just sort of something I thought would be fun to do. It's a topic that I'm very interested in and have a lot of thoughts on, some modest expertise with, I will say up front. I have never worked in reality TV production. And you can say, well, why the hell do you think you have any business talking about this? And you may have a point I do have a lot of experience, though, with audiovisual content production generally, not reality TV specifically, but a lot of experience with other forms of audiovisual content production. And it's just something I'm really interested in as um, a topic of conversation, as a thought experiment. I wish I had someone to talk to about this on the podcast. It's sort of what's held me back from doing any sort of podcast about it because I don't have anyone in my life that is interested in this like I am and that would want to talk to me about it. So I thought, well, you know, why don't I just talk to myself or at least talk to you without you being able to talk to me back? And um, we'll just see how it goes. We're just having some fun here. With that said, I wanted to say right up front too, if you're listening to this and you also find this an interesting topic of conversation and you have your own thoughts that you want to toss around with me, please feel free to hit me up. I'm on Twitter at Damien X um, 207. Welcome any feedback. Also, if you want to send negative feedback, you're free to do so. I probably won't pay much attention to that since this, I'm just doing this for fun, but you are more than welcome to send me whatever you want. Again, it's at Damien 207. Look forward to hearing the one or two people that perhaps ever listen to this, my wife included. Who am I? You may be asking. I'm sure you're asking that at this point. I'm Damian X, but more specifically, I wanted to quickly give, since this is the inaugural episode of the reality podcast, my quick backstory in terms of my experience with all this stuff, I want to emphasize, I'm going to try to keep it quick. I'm not going to try to belabor this, but there is a little bit of a story here that I think is important, at least for context, if you're listening to this and if I, um, was going to do any more of these. I think it's worth just getting into, again, very quickly. So starting at the beginning, we got to go back 20 years. And I, I said it was going to be quick, but bear with me. 20 years ago, I was there night one for episode one of Survivor. And I had already heard about the show and thought it sounded cool. When I watched that first episode, I thought it was the coolest thing I just about had seen on television. I was really into it. I continued to watch through the pre-merge and then I was in high school at the time, and my parents had scheduled a cross-country road trip for my family, a six-week cross-country road trip, that summer. So we left the morning of the Merge episode. That night, we stayed with one of my parents' friends, who was also into Survivor. So we watched the Merge episode with her, and it was incredible. It was, you know, Gretchen gets voted out the entire... Paradigm of what this show could be gets knocked up to the next level. It was so crazy. And then I literally didn't see another episode for the next six weeks. Um, it was such a phenomenon that, of course, I was hearing about it. You'd go to the gas station, see it on the magazine cover. So I sort of knew that Toggy had taken over, that everybody hated them. But I didn't really know much more than that until we got home the day of the finale. Just happened to be the day of the finale. And we watched the finale. And again, such incredible programming. I had no idea why Sue was so upset. I didn't know any context of what had happened, really whatsoever. But it was still great. Here's the kicker though when we had left, I had set our family's VCR to record every episode while we were gone and thankfully the power hadn't flickered which if anybody else is old enough to remember that that was certainly a concern i had when we left because then your vcr resets and you lose everything you got jerry springer recording at 357 but um thankfully the power didn't flicker so i had a vhs tape that had all of the post-merge episodes that i had missed so the next day after watching the finale i went back and started watching that vhs tape and it was Really incredible to see the way that the editors had crafted this story, all of the foreshadowing they had hidden in there that certainly almost nobody had even noticed because nobody else was watching it in this convoluted way, Uh, but it was life-changing. It made me fall in love with editing, watching the show that way. I was not really into editing, video editing at all before that, and it just really changed my life. I would watch that VHS tape over and over and over. I ended up going on eBay and buying the rest of the season on VHS so that I could watch the rest of the season over and over and over. And I kept recording future seasons on VHS um, moving forward so I could watch them over and over. And I just got completely taken in by all of the sort of subtle things that went into the show Um, in terms of the production. I like the strategy, like the characters. Like the moments, liked all that. But for me, it was always the crafting of this product that was so fascinating to me. I went to college where I studied film. And to quickly do a tangent, because again, I think this is important for the context of where I'm coming from. And I realize this is going a little long. Maybe I've got to try to speed this up if I can. I'm in college. I'm a freshman in college. I was going on Survivor Sucks, as one did at the time. And somebody had posted. They said, hey, I'm really into the editing. And the logic of the editing and curious if anybody else out there is into this and maybe we could talk about it and sort of look at patterns and figure out if there's a way we can figure out who the winner is and i'm thinking oh my god this is exactly what i am into as well so i you know immediately replied count me in and we started talking about it and came up with this idea to create a chart where we could sort of look at some of these patterns that we were talking about and basically i was one of the half dozen or so People who helped start and develop edgic, which for those who don't know, that's editing plus logic is called edgic. And to the point where I, I don't remember if I was the first person to ever make an edgic chart. I do remember that I was the first person to ever host an edgic chart on my personal website because that's what you had to do at the time to post images on Survivor Socks as you need them hosted on a website. So um, I, I was really into that um very formative for me as well at some point i outgrew it at the point that i was able to pick the winners pretty much every season after the first episode for a while i definitely picked you know sandra uh chris tom i sort of knew each of them was going to be the winner after the first episode i sort of felt like okay this is not as much fun so i stopped doing it and this podcast is not going to be about eduke at all if you're into that there's many other ways you can get your fix and your fill but Um, I just, again, mention it because it is sort of formative for me and sort of a part of this whole story. So I'm in college, studying film, went on to become a professional video editor. I've edited for well over 10,000 hours at this point. And then I sort of went on to start producing, start directing. Right now I lead and run a production team. I have about 20 employees, editors, videographers, producers. And a big part of my job right now is... To give them input initially before a shoot, I help with shoots sometimes, and then a lot of feedback afterwards in terms of the edits and so forth. A lot of critiquing their work and helping them create the best content they can. We do, um, you know, social media stuff, some stuff for television, you know, long form, short form, all mediums and genres, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, again, I have a lot of experience with creating media content generally, but also especially, I would say, giving feedback on content. And that was why I sort of said, you know, it would be fun to just sort of talk through this in terms of a Survivor show. Get it on the record. Get some of my thoughts out there into the zeitgeist. And maybe if somebody's ever listening to this and wanted to help move uh, any of the Survivor franchises or any other reality TV show in a better direction, I think there is certainly nothing wrong with that if it's just, you know, me talking for an hour here. Okay. So that's me going back to this episode, the inaugural episode of the reality broadcast. I watched the premiere of Survivor South Africa season eight a few days ago, and I really enjoyed it. I, I don't know if I would go so far to say that I loved it, but I thought it was very, very well done. And I will say up front that Survivor South Africa, for my money, is the best Survivor franchise on the market right now between US, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. Give me South Africa. I think they're doing it the best. That doesn't mean that they don't have problems, which I am going to be talking about some of. But I want to give some props up front to Survivor South Africa because I do really applaud what they are doing. I think it is really good. And I don't want that to get lost as I am critiquing some of their other decisions, especially after I watched it. And then I'm sort of thinking back on it It was really after the fact that it sort of hit me like it was so good, but it also had some holes in it. So I want to do both. I want to highlight some of the good stuff, talk through some of the stuff that I thought was not so good. The way I'm thinking I'm going to structure this uh, (laughs) soliloquy, if you will, is I'm going to divide it into the three sections of production. We're going to start with some pre-production, talking through what were the decisions that went into the show before they even started filming, Then we're going to go into production as they were filming, and then post-production after they wrapped and edited the show. So sort of dividing it into those three sections. One caveat is that I'm going to put the twists and the challenges and so forth in the production section while they were filming, even though I know you could make an argument that that's sort of pre-production as they're planning some of this stuff out. But dirty little secret of these shows is that they do make stuff up on the fly and change things and so forth. So I feel like it makes more sense to me to put that in production, but any um, other uh, audiovisual nerds out there, don't come yelling at me that 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 should have been somewhere else. I I do realize that it could go in either place, but that's how I'm going to structure this. So I think that's most of my setup. Let's dig into that premiere episode of Survivor South Africa season eight. Starting with the pre-production, I think picture stuff right away when you start the episode first thing that hits you is the location and you get that amazing waterfall shot it's huge it's epic you're in this amazing locale and i gotta say i i love the waterfall i love even more that we're not in fiji i think watching another survivor and then going back to survivor us it really hits you in the face how stale fiji has gotten and i don't even have anything against fiji in particular, but I think even more so the fact that Survivor U.S. continues to reuse the same beaches over and over and over again. It's like, can you not go to a different part of the same island or something? And I'm sure there's some logistical reasons. I'm just speaking from a purely theoretical, you know, what am I seeing on TV standpoint? Fiji is stale as heck. And I was so glad to be watching this in a completely different location. And I I won't keep bashing on Survivor U.S., but. Really, the location was really strong, I thought. Um, I really liked how they had this area they had picked where there's sort of different terrains and sort of locales within the camp setting. So there's the field where Rainier is talking at one point. There's that rocky pathway along the beach where the women are, are talking. At one point, you, you get sort of these different settings, which adds even more to the sort of richness of what we're watching on television. And I think that's crucial. I, I don't think you want your audience feeling like this is the same thing they've seen before. You know, the more you can mix it up and give them something fresh and new, the more they're going to be into it right on the flip side. I did feel like the camps were too similar. I think one of the things I'm going to come back to a few times as I'm talking through this is that you don't want your audience to be confused. You want your audience to be focused on the thinking and and their wheels are turning, but you want them to be thinking about If I was in that situation, how would I respond? You know, what would my strategy be? If I saw somebody do that, what would I do? Letting them play the game in their heads. You don't want them confused thinking, wait, which tribe is this? Which camp is this? And so when you have two camps that look, as far as I could tell, almost identical. And maybe maybe there's subtle differences there that I haven't picked up on yet. But it's like two camps in the middle of the jungle and they look pretty much the same. And it makes it much more confusing to figure out which tribe is which when you're cutting between them. Even just to go back to Borneo, because I am such a super duper fan, you have Tagi there with the big tree that they're camped under, you have this a much narrower beach, and then you have Pagong with this huge sandy area. And so it's much more visually distinct where when you're seeing somebody talking, you can sort of tell from their surroundings which tribe they're on. And it helps you pick up on the clues put the pieces together and now you're not as confused and you're just sort of playing along again. So I did think that was a problem in terms of location. Another big aspect of the pre-production of course is the casting love survivor South Africa casting. I think it's one of the things they do the best. I'm intentionally not looking at any sort of cast list. So if I'm saying somebody's name wrong or I'm sort of describing them and not using their name, that's intentional because that's sort of the point I want to make in terms of how well they were able to convey who was who. Okay. With that said, casting was great. So much racial diversity, which of course is important for representation. Count me on the camp that that, that that's an extremely important thing. But again, in terms of the TV product that we're watching, the more you can make each cast member look visually distinct, just like with the camps. If if I can tell that this person is not that person, it's going to help me in my mind keep track of who is who. I think that's one of the things that Survivor US has really lost over the years. You know, they're saying they're going to turn it around. It seems like they're going in a good direction right now. But having a 20-person cast where 17 of the people are white and you have five blonde women that are all look identical, it's really problematic. It really makes the TV product suffer and makes it harder to follow along with the show. I will say, Survivor South Africa, they do have three young skinny blonde women that is very difficult to tell who is who. I still, even having watched the episode a couple of times, have really very little way to tell them apart. I think one of them is Marissa, and she's sort of the model lady, and her strategy is to seem unassuming. And then there's another lady who's just sort of giving background commentary. And then there's, you know, blonde girl number three who doesn't like rain. But but really, I think that was such a poor decision. I would say at least have a blonde, skinny woman who's a different age, at least, if you feel like you need that many skinny blonde women. On that note, too, it's strange to me that the cast is so young and a little unsettling that i'm 37 right now and i think i'm older than everybody else on this cast as far as i could tell i don't really understand that inclination i get having a lot of young people but it doesn't make sense to me that you would have nobody over the age of 35 or whatever it is it's just strange and it's not making the product better it makes it you know sort of flatter i I want a bigger variety and and helps me Identify with characters. Obviously, there's a lot of people older than me watching this show. Oh, it's going to give them more people to identify with, too. So I think if I was casting this, I definitely would have had a wider age diversity. I did like the strategy diversity, I thought was interesting, where you have a lot of foxes, so to speak, who are all being very strategic. And then you have a couple of chickens, damn, who are trying to play the game honestly with integrity. And I think you need that mix of strategies. I, I, I almost like having one person or two people in there who have no idea what's going on because again, that creates a richer product. We don't want a hundred or 20 foxes. We don't want 20 chickens. You want that mix of strategies, diversity of race, age, um, everything. The, the more diversity, the better, because I think that inevitably is gonna make the, the final product stronger. Even in terms of names, I think having somebody named Kieran and somebody named Kien, and forgive me if I'm saying that wrong, but it's Kieran and Kien, I think. Literally, the first time I watched this episode, I was an hour into the episode before I figured out that everybody talking about voting out Kien wasn't Kieran or vice versa. I was so confused I know Survivor US does that sometimes too. And I think it's just really stupid. I I don't think it adds to the show. Again, you don't want to confuse the audience. Confusing the audience does no good. So I I just wanted to highlight that too. Um, All right, but casting was great overall. I'm really happy with the cast. The tribes that they had, I really loved having not an orange tribe and a purple tribe like you always see on Survivor US. I think there's, again, no reason to keep it that stale and not... Mix up the colors. Just to give an example, I have a six-year-old son. I watched the episode the second time with him and he was, you know, saying, oh, you know, I love that red. He does know his colors, but it was sort of a reddish orange. He said, I, you know, oh, that red's cool. I'm going to be, you know, that's my tribe. I'm the red tribe. You know, why stick with the same colors every season? There's no benefit to that. And there's a lot of problems, you know, make it more interesting. Keep it fresh, much better that way. I also liked to the symbols that they have. They have that snake symbol and the skull symbol. I thought it was really interesting. And I almost wonder if you could utilize that even more. I, I, they did use it quite a bit, but I, I wonder if when you're cutting between tribes, if you could sort of like have that fade up somehow or sort of appear on a lower third or somehow to like even more make us associate The symbols with the tribe, with the cast of that tribe, that was intriguing to me. And I almost wonder, could you utilize that even more is something I would explore. The names of the tribes were not good. You have Zamba and then I didn't even know the name of the other tribe. And then I thought it was Luna. And then I figured out, no, it's Vuna. So you have Zamba and Vuna, which are way too similar. Keep things distinct. Diversity is good. So have Zamba. I love that name. That's a fun one. But then have don't have another name that's two syllables and ends with an a even when nico is announcing the challenges it's like zombas here and it's like wait who's who what's going on so wasn't crazy about that last thing i wanted to touch on with the pre-production was the equipment that they're giving them the castaways they have raincoats seemingly more supplies count me in the camp uh Camp's not the right word. Count me on the side of the more equipment you give these people, the better. Suffering is good in the sense that it gives you that, you know, five second, 10 second shot. I mean, that's cool. But then if your whole the rest of the season is suffering because everybody's too cold and exhausted and weak to play the game and the entire TV product is suffering, it's not worth that 10 second shot. And even here with raincoats, you got a shot of them and they looked pretty miserable. I mean, that's fine. Having them suffering is not worth the long-term gameplay uh, problems, it really isn't. So props for giving them raincoats, give them good clothes, give them whatever they need. I'm cool with all that. All right, I think that was pre-production. Let's talk about production. I say let's, but I'm gonna now talk about production. Big picture stuff in terms of the production that I wanted to highlight. And, and I will say pre-production is the shortest. Some of these uh, production and post-production are gonna be a bit longer because there's more to talk about. Um, for production though, big picture, I really enjoyed and appreciated the cinematic element that they brought to the videography. Putting on my you know, audio visual nerd hat here. So they're shooting this season with very large apertures on their cameras. Which gives it that cinematic look where the background is blurry, and there's a huge risk in doing that. I would be myself hesitant to do that if I was shooting a live event like this i've I've done that, and you can do it, but the risk is that you will end up with shots that are somewhat out of focus, and even in this episode, there were maybe you know three or four shots that were clearly out of focus where they were focused on the background instead of the person in front of it. But it wasn't that bad. I thought they they have very skilled videographers to be able to pull this off in a live environment like that, and they're pulling it off. And I just wanted to really highlight that as a bold move that I think has really paid off in the final product. And it's not easy to pull that off, and I think they're doing it. So that was great. Just to highlight, I'm not going to go like too much into like specific shots, but I just have to mention... The shot with Rainier pointing his finger at Jason. That is such a great shot. I, you have to give the videographer who shot that a raise for staying there, not moving around, getting what was going on and really letting that shot go was so great. So I just have to mention that at this point. The other thing that I wanted to mention too, in terms of the shooting aspect of it, and I'll, and I'll have some other specific shots that I'll mention in a second, but Generally speaking, I really like the -the on-the-fly confessionals that Survivor used to do. Again, way back in season one, they were doing this more. And I I apologize that I'm bringing up Borneo so much, but I I can't help it. I loved how they used to do that, where they would sort of pull somebody aside right in the moment, and there would be a producer there sort of asking them a couple questions, and then they would go back. And, And you can sort of tell where it's just like somebody sort of standing up next to a tree, like right near the camp, and it's clearly not sitting down somewhere. Survivor US now, I feel like they do that during idol hunts and stuff, but they really don't do that much otherwise to my recollection and I wish they would do it more. I think there's something very dynamic and it really puts you in the moment with these people where you've got Rainier in that big field after he's trying to pull off this big blindside adjacent and he's sort of explaining it sort of in a hushed tone, like talking through it very quickly because he's got to get back to what's going on. It really sets that the energy takes the energy to the next level. So, I wish they would do that more in Survivor US, but really like that other production stuff. I haven't talked about Immunity Island itself yet. It is was not explained well. I again have watched this a couple of times and I'm still pretty confused. I think I finally sort of figured out what's going on there, but Nico really doesn't explain it well when he's setting up an Immunity Island which I don't understand why you would not explain it to the players better. Like they're obviously going to find out. They find out in this episode that uh, Therese, I'm going to say her name wrong. Thereso, Theresa, Thereso. she lost her vote. Like they're going to find out. So why make it some weird mystery? Like explain the rules to us. Again, don't leave us confused as the audience. I think there's opportunities for confusion in terms of you're trying to hide information that then is going to be a big reveal. But when it's just sort of like, just not explained well. So, um, wasn't crazy about that. Let's talk through the show itself. Then that's sort of my big picture stuff. So starting at the beginning of the episode, and I'll go through this pretty quickly. But love that decision to have them walk out single file. I thought it really set the stage, you know, these uh, contestants entering the re- arena, if you will, of this game that they're about to play. I just thought it was a really, again, cinematic way to start the season versus the Survivor US thing of crowding all these people onto a boat. and They're just on the ocean and we've seen that a hundred times. I really like this. I thought it worked really well. Um, I can't help it. I got to say Borneo started that way, too. and Maybe that's why... It- appeals to me so much but i I just thought it was it was a good way to sort of set the stage for what was to come and the way it was edited was really clever too i thought which i'll um talk about when we talk about the post-production editing stuff but did like that then they arrive nico doesn't explain immunity island well they do the tribe draw which i thought was very interesting i agreed with the players like this is survivor you're Fate is in the hands of the Survivor gods. I really enjoyed that. I do think there's a big risk to that, obviously, from a production standpoint, that one-year tribes could be completely decimated. There's a reason Survivor US doesn't do tribe pickums anymore. But I thought that was an interesting choice, and I'm glad it worked out as well as it did. The other thing that is sort of problematic about that, too, is, again, when you have sort of three skinny blonde young women or... Um, whoever it is, you run the risk that you're going to have people that have very similar looks and approaches to the game, et cetera, on the same tribe versus being able to keep those people apart. So it's a very risky thing to do. I don't know that I would necessarily do that. One thing that I was thinking about, though, could that potentially create more dynamic gameplay in the future? If people understand that these tribes are random up front, will that give them less incentive to feel like this is my family that i was given and it's you know i was assigned to these people it's important to me like could we potentially see people being less tribe focused when there are swaps and after the merge if it was random up front and i'm curious to see if that ends up being the case anyway then they do the what i'm going to call the pillage i think that's what rainier called it maybe nico called it that too i'm giving credit to rainier because i love him but I thought it was a good way to get our adrenaline pumping pretty early on in the episode without it being a full on challenge and take too much time before we can get back to the story development. So I I really thought that was well done. Obviously, Survivor US does do that sometimes um, with their maroonings. Usually they tend to go a little long with it. And I felt like this one even was a little long. At some point, you're just watching people run around in the (laughs) on the beach, sort of half beach, half forest. But, you know, it's just like, what am I even watching? It's just like people running back and forth. So it's not super compelling, but it does get your adrenaline pumping a little bit. It's exciting just for a minute. I liked all the sort of pops of color that they had, all these different fruits and these big palm fronds and stuff. It was nice. It was it was really well done, I thought. And I really enjoyed that twist of having the two immunity idols, that dilemma of are you going to help your tribe or go try to grab an immunity idol. The twist of the tribe advantage, I did not enjoy. It was one of the things that I really didn't like about the episode because number one, anybody who grabs that is obviously going to try to hide it. And so you're just basically burning somebody for no reason. It reminded me of the Jamal note. It's just like a whammy that, you know, this is not an advantage that you're just getting burned for no reason. And it didn't even have any repercussions in the episode. Basically, Rainier like has to come clean or he does come clean. I will say just to say strategy for one minute, I would not have said anything at the point that Nico says, no, really, if you have this, you should say it like now. I'm taking this to my grave now. I can't come out clean now after I already didn't come clean the first time. So but it didn't pay off it was like so everybody's like okay he's a little sneaky so he gets a little burn but then everybody just goes on with it yeah if i had seen that i would have done the same thing so like why did we do this it was just twists upon twists for seemingly no reason and even the advantage itself was so stupid it was like one sleeping bag for 10 people and you know one sleeping mat for 10 people if you wanted the sponsorship in there, scrap that stupid thing. You already have a good twist in terms of the immunity idols that everybody knows about. Scrap the tribe advantage and just take the sponsored stuff and like sprinkle it around with everything else and say, hey, you know, whatever our sponsor was, they gave us a couple of sleeping bags that are out there. So if you want to grab the, you know, the whole thing was really dumb and it just burned Rainier for no reason. So I really thought very poor decision there. And. Not only that, but it was just like information on top of information where we already had the twist. And again, you want to sort of get us in the flow, start to know the characters before you're just like dumping stuff on us that that doesn't even matter. Like that didn't pay off at all. It was over in 20 seconds. It wasn't even a big moment. So didn't I didn't like that at all. Not a lot to say in terms of production decisions with all the camp life stuff. So just skipping ahead to the fire mission, the solo mission they had. I really like that too. I thought, again, a nice way to get some adrenaline going. I really enjoyed having the one, you know, sort of champion that they're sending off. And I know International Survivor does that a lot more often. I'm not sure why US Survivor doesn't do that more because I think it's very compelling and, you know, sets up some interesting dynamics in terms of people not having all the information. I don't know a reason not to do that. At least, you know, one or two reward challenges a season Trying to keep things fresh and not stale. If every single reward challenge you're doing is a tribe challenge and there's, you know, the puzzle and the obstacle course, it's just getting stale. So have one of these champion challenges or I almost think and maybe International Survivor has done this and I just haven't seen that. I should say at some point, I haven't watched every episode and every season of International Survivor. I've seen a bit of all of them. I've seen um, you know a good bit of South Africa, a good bit of Australia, but I'm certainly not an expert on any of them. So um, bear with me if I'm missing something important in terms of those. But I really would almost wonder, could you have a tribe pick who the champion's going to be of the other tribes? Then instead of getting the big dudes that show up, you get sort of the the scrubs are showing up to compete. And could that be fun too for just a single challenge potentially? Again, just trying to keep it fresh and interesting. I don't think there's a reason not to do that. I really like that it was a fire thing. Obviously, classic Survivor, like they said. I'll be honest. I, uh, I've seen enough people making fires at this point. Again, it's gotten stale. But the challenge itself was short enough. They kept it short in the episode. So I, I didn't feel like... It was too bad in that regard. One thing that was strange about it, I thought, was that they had that overhead shot of the two fire-making stations. And when you're in a challenge where the whole point is who can build something the highest, having an overhead shot is completely pointless. I really don't know why they did that. Maybe they just thought it would be cool. But then they kept cutting back to it over and over and over. Like they didn't have a two shot of like both stations where you could see the two fires next to each other. All they had was this overhead shot. And I don't know what they were thinking with that, but it was really not a good decision to have that GoPro up in the tree. And that's like your primary two shot for the two stations when it really tells you nothing about who's ahead when you're looking at that. Maybe that was the idea is that they wanted to hide who was ahead a little bit, but it was very strange, I thought. (laughs) Didn't like that. The diplomatic immunity was cool as a twist and i liked the bracelet element i thought it was fun instead of a necklace this is a little bracelet i will say i didn't love it having that in the first episode when there's a lot going on and you're giving us something that now we're going to have to remember this moving forward and it obviously did not pay off in this episode and i would not have expected it to when the two tribes are sending their champions Obviously, these two guys are not going to think that they are on the outs with their tribe if they were the person who was sent. So it's just sort of like information you're giving us that has no payoff in this episode. And it could have payoff later on. I sort of suspect it probably isn't going to. I mean, we'll see where it goes. I would be surprised if um, Chappies was going to defect. But you never know. I, I just didn't like it in the first episode. It was too much going on. I think there's other things you could have done, other twists that could have made this interesting rather than something that has no payoff right now and it's just like more things to remember for later. Uh, Again, in the first episode, that's too much, I think. Keep it simple. Maybe it's Chappies can choose, does he want to give the fire-making kit back in order to get a hidden immunity idol or, or, you know, and he can sort of say that he lost the challenge. Some like interesting dilemma twist rather than just more information that we're going to have to remember for the rest of the pre-merge. I I wasn't crazy about that for the first episode. Okay. Then uh, again, skipping ahead a little bit, immunity challenge comes pretty good mix of different elements of the challenge between the the ropes and the, you know, swimming out, building the rope ladder. I did like the rope ladder. I thought that was a cool thing. Survivor U.S. I think usually does more of a building a ladder out of sticks sort of thing, but I thought, I thought it was fun and, and a little different. I did not like the rope untying knot. You almost miss it if you're watching the episode once that there's like a knot that they have to untie to get their second set of ropes. And I think there's a reason you miss it because I think they quickly realized when they were editing, and I'm I'm skipping ahead, but that this was not compelling television to watch somebody untie a big ball knot. One thing that Survivor US does that is better is usually they'll have like a string knot where you can sort of see the progress that's being made versus a big tangle that you're watching it and you have no idea what's going on as you're watching somebody untie that. So I think the string knot works better for sure than the big ball knot. I also didn't like the double ladder I thought was... We just saw people climb up a ladder, a rope ladder. Like, why are we now watching them climb up a second rope ladder? That's not compelling. I already just saw that. I think you could have done something off the top of my head, like maybe it's you throw a rope across, and then you have to like do balance beam across a rope thing or some sort of other rope obstacle. But doing multiple rope ladders was, again, just feels stale, not good. And then we get to the puzzle. And I will say at this point, I've been watching people do... Puzzles like this for what? Over two hours. If I never have to watch another person do a puzzle like this again, I will not be unhappy about that. I think Survivor US has gotten a little better about having puzzles that are more diverse and sort of 3D puzzles. And what comes to mind for me is, of course, that weather vane puzzle that they did, making puzzles that are more compelling, at least, rather than just like a big flat surface with a bunch of pieces that people are moving around. For my money, I feel like there's other ways they could do mental challenges that are not just spatial awareness mental challenges. You could have memory. You've got, you know, Survivor occasionally will do the, like, word scramble thing. Maybe some, like, there's some way you could do... Trivia, like survival trivia or something. Like, I just feel like spatial awareness is one aspect of a mental challenge, but I feel like there's so much more they could be doing. And I haven't put a lot of thought into that because it just seems so self-intuitive, but I really didn't need that. Again, though, it was very interesting to me watching the show. Maybe they had a good two shot. For whatever reason, they didn't use it. They didn't show us a two shot of the two tribes doing their puzzle in that challenge. And I don't know, again, if it was just they didn't have the coverage of that, if they had a camera issue. It was very strange to not be able to see who's ahead and then we have some stakes and it's not just we're cutting back and forth and we have no context for either shot that we're seeing, you know. So I wanted to mention the immunity idol design I thought was cool. That's such a small thing, but I really liked the skull and the snake sort of intertwined and how that's the two tribe symbols. I thought that was cool. I, I just wanted to give a shout out to that real quick while we're talking about the immunity challenge. Okay, then we go to immunity island and... Again, it was so hard to understand what was going on. The skipping over stuff and like sort of not really reading it. Give us a shot of the note. Something, it was just so confusing. And I think a big part of that too was just that the twist itself is too convoluted, I think. I think you have somebody go, anybody who goes gets immunity, and then they can choose to play the challenge and win something or they lose their vote you know you could simplify it and still have it be very compelling without seemingly there's like multiple other things going on in terms of you can go and then you lose something but you stay oh if i think it was that if you go home you keep your idol but it doesn't have power for you i i could be wrong but i think that's what the was sort of saying But it was really not explained. And and I'm saying that even having watched this multiple times, and I really don't know. So I thought the design of Immunity Island was not great. I'll say while we're talking about Immunity Island 2, that's not the best name, I don't think. It's sort of flat. It's descriptive. I don't hate it, but I feel like you could come up with something better, something that sort of implies more of the dilemma, the choices, the gambling aspect. I don't know what it is because I haven't put a lot of thought into it, but I feel like you could have come up with something that... Same twist, but just a better name than Immunity Island, I thought was sort of maybe that's a pre-production thing. But again, though, I do like Immunity Island, at least for that quick adrenaline shot. I mean, it comes right after the immunity challenge, but give us a minute of adrenaline and then we go back to other stuff, you know, and then maybe, you know, 10 minutes later, there's a shot of adrenaline and then we go back to other stuff. I, I like that aspect. I like the time challenge. I know people have talked about that went back with Ghost Island. I will say I didn't like the timer itself. It's this small little thing up on the table far away from her as she's digging. And you really don't get a sense of how far she is through it. I feel like building some sort of bigger time contraption where it's more like you can really see the time ticking down rather than having this hourglass where there's barely any sand and then you cut back to it and there's still barely any sand and then you come back to it and there's still barely and then it's over right like it just wasn't designed well I think for television to have that little hourglass with not a lot of sand in it I thought was not a good design really going back now to camp not a lot again to say in terms of the production because it's all it's so much of just the contestants doing stuff so skipping ahead one more time to the tribal council thought the set was fine wasn't Super great. I did like the the fire was kind of cool, the sort of volcano fire they have. Nothing super noteworthy there. The one thing that was noteworthy to me that I thought was interesting, and again, maybe this is something that international Survivor franchises do a lot, but it stood out to me was having the camera in the voting confessional be a little higher than it normally is, at least on U.S. Survivor. I thought it was a really interesting choice, and I don't mind having people on U.S. Survivor talk directly to the camera sort of at their eye level as they're talking to us. But to put on my uh, film studies hat, when you have a camera higher up than the subject, it makes the subject look less powerful versus if you have the camera lower looking up at the subject, it makes them look sort of more powerful and godly. So I kind of liked giving us that eye of God, sort of looking down at these people in this sort of very vulnerable moment for each of them. I I thought that was cool. Again, I don't hate the U.S. survivor. I wouldn't ask them to change it. But... I thought it was a cool, distinct choice to intentionally have that camera a little higher. I thought that was cool. Okay, that's production. Let's go to post-production. Again, big picture stuff. Let me start with some positives before I hit like my big negative here. The positives for me were I really enjoyed the single episode story arcs that they did, and in particular, the Jason story arc where he starts, uh, they show him saying... You know I'm gonna be the best survivor player ever, and then um, you know this is my element, all this stuff, and it's the fall of Jason from that moment to the end, and I really enjoyed that story arc and then also the story arc of the two tribes and um after the tribe draw where the Zamba tribe looks so much stronger, they have all the strong people, and oh, this is gonna be scary for the, the Vuna tribe,' I'm so stupid, but. And then obviously then Vuna ends up winning, which I I really enjoyed that they set that up. I thought the final couple sequences, basically from when they get back to camp from the immunity challenge and... That strategizing segment, I thought, was really well done. Even without, they didn't really have a dummy vote or anything. I thought it was really compelling, though, the way they cut that together. Showing Jason talking to Smash. And then Rainier comes over and he has the same conversation. But then Rainier is put off by that and goes and talks to the women. And then they have to go back and talk to Smash. And then there's the scene with... Uh, obviously Radier and his finger pointing. Then we go to Sean finally who we haven't really seen and we sort of get his perspective on everything that's going on and then he's talking to Kian. Just the way it was paced and plotted out I thought was really good. And then I thought Tribal Council was pretty interesting too. It was a little all over the place but I feel like that was more that Nico was sort of all over the place in terms of his producing on the spot versus the editing of it. But I sort of, I really loved how the episode ended and I'll talk to you in a second about how the episode began. I really loved how the episode began. I didn't like the middle, especially on a rewatch. And I'll talk more specifically as we go through it in a second again. But I thought the middle had a lot of issues. The big thing for me, the biggest problem with the episode, Rainier's whammy notwithstanding, the thing that I really didn't like was the lack of character development. And I thought it started out really strong. I was really excited. We were getting these characters I started to feel like I was getting to know him even right away in the first minute or two. But then we start getting into like, as a yoga instructor, I'm going to uh, be very calm and this is going to be my master class or whatever uh, the yoga lady says. What does that even mean? Like, what? what are, that's not giving me any sense of who that lady is other than that she's a yoga instructor. It just felt like we got some good character development on some characters. Maybe you could say that. And then... We just started going right away into all of this Michael Bay approach to Survivor where I think Survivor US has this problem in spades, you know, where it's like, we think people want to see strategizing. So this is the premiere. We better give them a lot of strategizing. And I think that's so wrong. I think you need to think about this show and this TV product as a 15 hour movie, essentially. And in the first hour and a half, we need to be getting character development. And again, you can have those quick flashes of adrenaline. You can have some strategizing. But if I'm not invested in who these characters are and what their approach to the game is, what's motivating them, you know where they're coming from with all this as I then see them strategizing, if, if I don't have any connection with them, strategizing is meaningless. Like when I'm seeing Kieran, not Kian, Kieran, when I'm seeing him making you know, a bond with Tyson, I don't know anything about Kieran. Like, Why do I care about this? And that was a big problem throughout. You got like, an- Anes- Anesu is saying, um, you know, she's got an a- alliance with Mike. And it's like, I don't know who Mike is. Why do I care who you have an alliance with Mike? Like, give me more of Mike. Like, who is this guy? Am I even saying his name? I think his name is Mike. Hopefully you know who I'm talking about, the white dude that just like had no story whatsoever. But it just felt like, we went from setting up the camp to then either the challenge or else there was some strategizing before that but it was just like camp set up and then boom now we're just making alliances everywhere i'll I'll even talk about more specifics here in a second as we like talk through the different parts of it but man it just bummed me out that we didn't get more of that as good as everything else was i thought i wanted to say i think when some people say you know we need more camp life in the show you know a little less strategy a little more camp life I think what they're saying is they don't want to see people setting up shelters. What that means is show me more of the characters. We want more of people talking to each other, experiencing each other before we get to all of the handshakes and the like, oh yeah, we could be, you know, let's keep this in mind. This could be a good a good deal or whatever. And it's just <sighs> I just really felt like the character development was lacking and I think especially on a 20-person Cast, it is so essential that we have a sense of who at least more of these people are. I don't think it's possible to give us a sense of who every character is in the premiere, but I don't need to see alliances being formed between people if I don't know who those people are. It's just like meaningless television. It's like watching people run around grabbing supplies at the pillaging, you know? And I think that's true. Again, I'm saying me, but I think that's the audience. I think we need the audience to. Connect with these players so that they care about the alliances that are being formed. So easily my biggest complaint about the whole episode, um, which is unfortunate. And again, I don't want to make it sound like I hated the episode because I didn't. But sort of going off that, another thing I wanted to mention was occasionally we got this once or twice this episode and Survivor US will do this once in a while. But I really wish they would both do it more, which is when. Two people are talking about other people. So you've got just, I'm going to say random names, you know, Smash and Jason are talking about Amy. Is that, is there somebody named Amy? I want to say there is, or they're talking about uh, Rainier and um, Chappies. I think he's, he's on the other tribe, right? But you see what my point is. Two people talking about other people. Cut away when they say their names and show us that person. Give us more of a connection between the names. And the people they're saying, so that I'm not an hour into the episode thinking Kien is the same person as Kieran. Like cut away, use the B-roll. You have so much B-roll. Just stay on the two people talking. That's not very visually interesting. Like give me more to look at. Make it more visually interesting and help ground who all these people are. Part of that too is we only ever see people's name and their face at the same time either doing that or when they're in confessional and they have their lower third. So when you have somebody like Kieran who only gets like one confessional in the first hour, there's no way for me to know her name. You're not helping me learn her name. Um, I almost wonder just hypothetically if you could lower third people outside of a confessional. I think it's a big problem with Survivor generally in terms of the editing especially is that There's sort of this language that was developed way back in like Australia, I would say, of how the story is told. And they still stick with that pretty religiously. And obviously, Survivor US has been branching out, doing more different things. But there are ruts that need to be reevaluated in terms of not just this is how we always edit it, so this is what our audience expects, but how can we make this better for our audience? And I say that Realizing that it is difficult to do that, but it's something that I have to do all the time in my job is, you know, this is the same way we've been editing this type of video, but let's take a step back. How can we make this better? And I think the lack of connection between faces and names, especially in the first episode or two, is one of those things that could benefit from that more so than almost anything else. Uh, That might be too strong, but you see my point, hopefully. Another big problem with the episode, I wouldn't say this is a big problem, but another problem in terms of the editing for sure was the sound design. There were several places where the music was way too loud, where we couldn't even hear what people were saying. And I say this as an editor, like it was too loud. They edited it poorly in terms of the sound design. And there were also places where the speaking was way too quiet and it was just even without music, impossible to hear what people were saying. I know that Survivor U.S. has gotten much more um, I want to say like cavalier. That's not quite the right word, but with subtitles, sort of putting subtitles on a lot of stuff, even if you don't necessarily need the subtitles. But it's almost like, why not? Again, help us understand. Don't make us sort of like, wait, what did that person just say? Confusion is bad. Make things clearer. And I thought that this episode could have used a hell of a lot more subtitles. And I don't think that's just the accent. I think, again, it was a lot of problems with the sound design. The other big picture problem, and I and I'm a video editor at heart, so the problems with video editing are very in my face at least. So I say another big problem with the video editing was the story. And going back to the middle section, there was a lot of just random sound bites, and it. it almost felt to me like they were approaching it as this is the sort of thing that Survivor puts on the air. Let's put that in. And it just really didn't create a comprehensive story. The probably most visceral place for that for me was when I think it was the second try talking about setting up their camp. We get one person saying, well, I'm not going to step up and be a leader. And then cut to, I think, Mike, like giving an idea and then cut to somebody else saying something completely unrelated to any of this. And then, like, why were we shown Mike? Like, Mike's not a leader. Is he? He doesn't seem like it. If he was, why weren't we told that? And then we're cutting to something else that was completely unrelated to any of that. There was no flow or, like, what are we even seeing here? It was very confusing. Um, It just felt like there were a lot of sound bites that we could have lost. We didn't need them. They weren't adding anything to the show. And again, going back to how little character development there was, Cut all that stuff, tighten it up and give us more character because this is the premiere. You want us to be invested in these people. Don't tell me, you know, Survivor South Africa, producers and editors that you didn't have time to give us more character development because you definitely did. It's just that you didn't utilize your time very well. I'm bashing on the editing. I can't help it. Forgive me, kind listener. It's what I do. So That was my big picture stuff. I'm going to quickly go through a couple last things here in terms of the post production, just to highlight a couple things. Really like the first impression segment that they did at the beginning where as they're walking along and they're cutting between, you know, one person saying I saw this person and then the focus sort of racks into showing us that person. And then we have them saying something about somebody else and gave us really our primary character development for the episode. So that was good. But I thought that notwithstanding, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was also strange how they had, for example, Tyson, presumably he must be a big character because they go back to him and underline multiple times that he is super cutthroat, I guess. And same with the uh, the really strong woman, how, whoa, that lady's really big and strong. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can see that looking at her. Why am I being told this three times? This sort of unnecessary sound bites that just weren't really thought out and sort of took up time that we could have used in a a much more productive way. So there were some issues like that, but I thought overall I did like at least that first impression segment going into it. I like the opening credits. I wanted to say real quick on the opening credits that I am more of a fan of give us one really strong shot of each character to really solidify them in our minds versus like two okay shots of each person which just makes them all jumbled for us give us that one iconic shot to help us ground the name and the face versus faster cutting of multiple shots where they just sort of lead into each other and then really going through the rest of the episode i, I don't want to this has gone on pretty long now i think i don't want to go too far into like Specific cutting stuff because that I feel like is going to get too drowned in the minutia that probably most people are not going to care about if anybody has even listened this far so last sort of thing I wanted to touch on was the challenges in particular I thought were cut really well, very snappy, and like not dragged out like I feel like survivor u s will do a whole eight minute segment of the challenge, people going back and forth and the same thing, and people moving puzzle pieces. I thought these challenges all of them we very snappy. The pillaging could have been a little bit shorter. It was a little over a minute. I would have made that a little shorter, but I really liked the fire challenge it was not some long, long drawn out thing. I really liked how the immunity challenge sort of got to the point and then they went even so far as to skip over the untying. They made the puzzle very short, especially compared to US Survivor. So I really liked the snappiness and not dragging that stuff out. Give us our adrenaline, but you don't need to drag it out because then the adrenaline is starting to wear off and now we're just waiting for it to end. The puzzle in particular was like, whoa, this is already over. Even beyond the two shot, they didn't even show us vuna's puzzle until right before they won they spent the whole time showing us zamba's puzzle for some reason but again i thought that was odd at least without having more context in terms of maybe there was a back-end reason why they had to do that but one last thought just to throw out there again going back to this survivor australia has developed the language of what this all is and I say uh, Survivor Australia, obviously things have developed a little bit over the years, but I just wonder, even in terms of the challenges, even in terms of everything, how the show is edited and the elements and beats they include. When we go to a challenge, do we need him saying, I got nothing else for you? Do we need, I'll give you a moment to strategize and then we'll get started. Why can't the host just explain the challenge and say, all right, let's go these sort of extra beats that they include just because that's the way they do it versus it's taking up more time. That doesn't really add anything. And that could have been spent giving us more character development. Like I keep going back to. So if I'm going to end on one note, it's just, I, I wish survivor us and all of the survivors which I know they're doing this a little bit, but I really wish they would be more big picture, reevaluating the way they've always done something and really thinking about, is this the best way we could do it? And maybe that's the big takeaway with all this is looking for ways we could be reevaluating and uh, making things better is certainly the goal. I think that's mostly it. Hopefully this was interesting for people to listen to. It was fun to talk through and at least get out of my system, but I hope it was an enjoyable listen and, you know, I'm not a professional podcaster. So forgive me if I sounded really stuttery. And I know I do have some verbal tics. So, you know, I hope it was listenable. At least Uh, I'll say one more time. If you're interested in this stuff, hit me up. I'm at damienx 207. And I guess I don't have a way to sign this off. I didn't think that far through. So for now, I'll just say thanks for listening and take care until next time, if there is a next time.